community and our church will enter into a season of revival meetings. We'll begin with the community revival next Sunday through Wednesday, 7 o'clock at the Glenville Auditorium. We're gathering with the whole community and uh, leaders from the churches around the area will be leading with the hope of bringing the community together around Jesus Christ. Everyone's invited and I hope to see you there. Um, You can come any night. Uh, I mean, if if you want to come on Sunday, you'll hear Roger um, from Anchor Point. If you want to hear it come on Monday, you can skip that one. I'll be there for that one. Um, Roger Nelson will be there on Wednesday from Restoration, on Tuesday from Restoration Point, uh, and Mike Howard from First Baptist on Wednesday. We'll also have, following that, we'll have our own church revival, the Glenville United Methodist Church Revival, on March 17th through the 19th in the evenings with the Reverend Mike Ricker, who's going to come and be our guest preacher, and the Bland family, who will come and lead our music. Uh, Pastor Ricker is the pastor of the Isle of Hope Methodist Church and the executive director of Light for the Nations, which is an international uh, evangelism and missionary organization. And I've been asking you to continue to pray for Mike right now because he's in the middle of a six-week mission to India as we speak. Um, We've been in communication. He's been ministering to lepers in a leper hospital that they help run. Uh, He's been leading, his wife's been leading women's conferences. He's been leading pastor's conferences as well as evangelical meetings for the communities out there. So pray for him that the Spirit will be at work and effective in his ministry. Um, And pray for his church too as they are, uh, he's off leading in India uh, and they're without him for a couple weeks. So we got it all together, right? We've got who's coming. We got this. We got the preachers picked out. We got the musicians picked out for both of these revivals. Um, we got the building booked, right? We got the dates on the calendar. So you need. We can just come and show up and enjoy, right? Well, that's not how revivals work, is it? Because the point of all of the things that we seek to do is to open up uh, people's hearts to be revived by Jesus Christ, to have new life, renewed passion, renewed commitment to Christ. And it reminds me of a story that uh, our sermon series here is based on. I've told you last week. There's a young man who was desperate for revival in his city. He wanted people to awaken to Christ and to come to know Christ and to be renewed in their passion. And so there was a revivalist came through town. This was a preacher who spent his days leading revival meetings around the nation. If anybody knew how to do this, it would be him. The young man said to the revivalist, how can I bring revival to my city? And the revivalist said, you, go home. Get a piece of chalk. And there in a quiet space, draw a circle around yourself. And there in that circle, kneel down and pray with a broken and passionate spirit for God to bring revival to that circle. You see, it's not about finding the right person to come that everybody would like to listen to. It's not about finding the right venue that everybody will flock to. It's not about setting the air conditioner at just the right level so people will be comfortable that brings revival to our lives. And we can't just sit there and do like we do sometimes and say, hey, you need to listen to that sermon. Me, I'm good. It starts with us. Enter the chalk circle. And so our series is called The Chalk Circle as we're seeking to prepare ourselves for revival in the same way that the preachers are preparing their message, the music ministers are preparing their music, we are preparing our hearts. Enter The Chalk Circle and pray. So over the past week and in the upcoming weeks, we'll be seeking uh, particular ways that we can pray for revival to come in our lives. And so we'll continue today with a reading from the book of Ezekiel. 
from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 30 through 32. I'll invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Remembering in the prophets that God speaks his word to the prophets and they bring a word from God to the people. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, all of you according to your ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, otherwise iniquity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed against me and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then and live. Turn then and live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Question, have any of you ever made a wrong turn? Uh, No, right? No. So when I was doing my master's degree uh, in seminary to become a pastor, uh, my seminary was located in Orlando, Florida. It was the Asbury Theological Seminary campus in Orlando. And no, I didn't go to Disney World the whole time. I was in class. Thanks for reminding me. But when I lived in Camden County, it was a three-hour commute one way. When I moved to Savannah, it was a five-hour commute one way. So here's how a day would look. Every Thursday, I would wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning. I would get in my car and drive five hours to Orlando, hopefully having all the right change for the tolls along the way. And I would take class from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. And then I would get in my car. I would drive five hours back to Savannah. I would get home between 2 and 3 in the morning, get a few hours sleep, to wake up and go to work the next day because when you're the associate pastor of a church, you don't get to choose your day off. And I did that every week for three and a half years. One night, um, this was maybe my last year or last semester, if I remember properly. You know, there's a point in your coursework where you're like, I'm just done. They call it senioritis. You get that in seminary too. After a long day, of sitting through class 12 hours. That's harder than sitting through a 25-minute sermon, I promise you. It was a long day. The professor said class is done. It was a little after 9 o'clock, and I was past the point of trying to ask the professor questions. I didn't care if he was going to say the most profound. I was gone. I got in my car, 1993 Buick Park Avenue, with shocks that were made in 1972, and I got in my boat. (laughs) And I was on my way home. I took the 417, paid the tolls to the I-4, going eastbound, got on 95, drove for about two hours. I had this clock in my tummy that told me when I'd been on 95 for two hours because it was time for my regular double quarter pounder with cheese. You eat healthy when you travel all the time. At the McDonald's, at the particular exit, right outside of Jacksonville. And I was getting hungry. And I looked up, and I saw the exit for Vero Beach. Some of you don't know your Florida geography. I saw the exit for Vero Beach, and that's when I realized that I had been driving in the wrong direction for over a hundred miles. You see, what had happened was I got off I-4 all right, and I turned south 
on Interstate 95 and drove for two hours instead of driving north on Interstate 95. I, it was 11.30 at night, and I was still five hours from home. I don't know if I've ever been so mad at anything in my entire life. And it took me about three days before I realized I was mad at me. I was mad at everything. But I wasn't going to get home unless I turned that boat around, shocks and all, and got back on the road. I think I got home was it five or six o'clock that morning. And, I, and my wife loves when I tell this story. I'm surprised she didn't come right back in just to hear me tell it because she loves it when I tell this story. You see, I made that trip every week nearly every week, minus a couple summer breaks, for three and a half years. I knew the way backward and forward. I knew how much to- I know which toll worker would forgive me when I forgot to bring exact change. I knew every ounce of it, how long it took to get from 408 to 417 to I-4 to Jacksonville to my double quarter pounder with cheese and back home to the gas station I like and on the way to... I knew every ounce of it. I was an expert at this trip. And I was sure that night that I was on my way home. But I wasn't. It didn't matter how mad I was. It didn't matter how much I blamed the road signs or foggy conditions or the flow of traffic. I was never going to get home unless I turned around. It just wasn't going to happen. You see, sometimes an experienced traveler will make a wrong turn. It happens. Maybe more often to me than others, but it happens. Even someone who knows the way It's going to have to turn around. It happens. Even someone who knows the way is going to have to turn around. And that's a great statement to look at what the prophet Ezekiel has to say in the passage of Scripture that we read this morning. You see, God is warning the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel because they've taken a wrong turn. They've taken a number of wrong turns. What you're going to have to remember about the people of Israel is that they were God's holy and chosen people. The whole Old Testament up to this point is about God forming them to be his people, to be a light for the nations, that all would be saved through their nation. And God gave them the law to help them know how to be his holy people. And God led them through the, uh, out of captivity. And God gave them the land. And God gave them a kingdom. They knew the way to be God's holy people. They knew the way, but even someone who knows the way will make a wrong turn. You see, Israel had little by little let the practices of the surrounding nations take them away from practicing the ordinances of God to the point where in the temple of God in Jerusalem, the uh, priests and temple workers were worshiping other gods right there in the temple. The people were doing all kinds of unjust things and turning away from God. In short, at this point, they had become a people who were in open and active rebellion against God. Even someone who knows the way needs to turn around. And that's exactly what God tells them through Ezekiel. He says, repent and turn away from your transgressions. That's another word for the sin that you have done. He says, otherwise your iniquity will be your ruin. Iniquity being the weight and the guilt and the consequences of what we've done. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, God says. Turn then and live. Turn then and live. Even God's faithful people take wrong turns and need to turn around. 
It's true with experienced travelers. It's true with the house of Israel. And it's true for Christian believers as well. Even people who know the way will make a wrong turn and need to turn around. I don't often ask for a show of hands in church because invariably I'm wrong about something. Somebody will raise their hand at a time I didn't plan and I'll throw the whole sermon off and I won't know what to do. But I'm pretty confident about this one. How many of you have never sinned since you became a Christian? Right. And notice my hand's not up either. You see, when someone becomes a new believer in Christ, it's a powerful thing. When they become a believer in Christ, they repent of their sins. And that means that they turn away from their sin because they feel godly sorrow for what they've done wrong and how they are separate from God. They repent. They turn away and turn towards God. And Jesus Christ, out of his uh, great atoning work through his life, death, and resurrection, through that, these people are washed clean from the guilt of their sin and put in right relationship with God. It's the most glorious thing ever that we could be clean and made right with God. And some of you might remember the excitement of becoming a new Christian. Some of you. A new Christian is very likely to feel some great passion and excitement and, and to feel this deep commitment where they might say in their, in their minds, man, my life is 100% for you, God. Not my will be done, but yours. But it doesn't take long for them to realize that they've still got some sin to deal with. An old pattern or a flash of their own will will arise and the excitement will fade and they'll realize, wow, I've made a few wrong turns. A new believer will be filled with passion for God saying something like, there's nothing on earth I desire but you, God only to walk back out the church and see all the desirable things in the world and to have their passion for God fade. They'll find themselves over time facing uh, the, the desire of a thing or a desire of power or, or some flash of their own will. It won't be long before they split their allegiance with God and say, I'm going to find my pleasure and meaning over here for a little while, but I'll come back on Sunday. The point is this, repentance, turning away and asking for forgiveness of our sins and amending our lives, repentance is not reserved for the convert because sin is still present in the lives of believers. Repentance is necessary for all of us. Even someone who knows the way is going to need to turn around to repent. John Wesley puts it this way. He says, although sin does not reign over Christians, it does remain in them. Although it doesn't reign, it does remain. Although it has no power, we've still got to work it out of our lives. You know that you don't pull a weed out without grabbing the roots. Well, we've got to pull the roots. Sin doesn't reign in our lives, but it does remain And therefore, for you and for me, repentance continues to be necessary. So after the great excitement of becoming a Christian, a Christian will begin to feel some desires contrary to God's will. They'll make decisions based on their own desires, even doing a great job of justifying it so that it's okay for them to uh, not obey God's will but to do their own. A Christian will feel the tug of self-importance and pride. 
A Christian will be tempted by the lust of the eye. Hey, look at that new shiny thing. Or the lust of the flesh. And a yearning for earthly things or material riches. Sorry, let me go make a few quick bucks. It'll only take a second. We will feel attitudes contrary to the love of neighbor. You remember Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But don't we find in the lives of Christians jealousy, craving for controversy, unfounded suspicion? Don't we feel hostility and hatred and bitterness towards others or envy or resentment or the desire for revenge when we've been hurt? And what about the things that we leave undone? The call of God that we did not answer. The person that we did not attend to or help or feed or clothe or assist. And if we do attend to those things, are we 100% confident that we always do it free from self-congratulation to give the glory to God? Do we not still sometimes say, wow, I'm so proud of me. I helped somebody. Aren't I pretty fantastic? Or, hey, did I know I'm not supposed to, but I helped so-and-so the other day. No glory to me. All glory to God. Don't we still sometimes act out of the motive of our own gratification. You see, sin may not reign, but it does remain. Even someone who knows the way is going to take a wrong turn. Listen to me. You and me, I think that we ought to thank God that Jesus Christ continues to stand between us and our condemnation. Because if he didn't and our lives were held to account for what they are, we would be just as guilty as we ever would. I'm going to say that again. It's not my favorite, but it's true. We ought to thank God that Jesus Christ continues to stand between us and our condemnation because if he didn't and our lives were held to account, we would be just as guilty as ever. Wesley talks about this guilt a little. He says, in this area of guilt, there are extremes in two directions and few steer clear of the pitfalls. Most people come down on one extreme or the other, believing that they are condemned when they are not, or believing they deserve to be acquitted from all guilt, even though they have not repented. The truth, he says, lies between these extremes. And I've seen these extremes in the lives of people. I've lived these extremes in the life of Jim. I've seen too many hopeless Christians just say, wow, I am such a sinner and I am hopeless, and they are crushed in despair because there's nothing left for them. But despair and hopelessness is not the answer when we recognize the guilt of our sin in our own lives. It's not the answer. The answer is in Ezekiel's call. Turn, then, and live. The answer is to repent. And I have seen Christians who could not care one lick if everyone saw their lives overflowing like a flowing fountain with sin after sin that they did not care about because, hey, Jesus forgives, right? We're in good shape. But that's not the answer either. Paul says, should I then sin so I can receive more grace? And he essentially says, God, no. The answer is the same. Turn then and live. The answer is to repent. You see, while sin may not reign, it does remain. And you and I, if we continue uh, to live in such a way where we are not turning away from that, then we are putting ourselves in a dangerous position of not honoring God and not growing close to God and not working out our salvation. However, 
The answer to the sin in our lives is to turn back to God in repentance. The same grace that washed us white as snow will cleanse us once again. The same grace that justified us will sanctify us. The same grace that allowed us to be free from the guilt and the shame and the weight of what we did back then will continue to set us free. Y'all, Jesus is still on the throne interceding on our behalf to God for our freedom. Do you want to experience the full glory of God's presence in your life? Do you want to experience not just a bit, but the full measure of your salvation? Do you want to experience the full blessing and power of God in you and through you? If so, then search your hearts. Where have you made a wrong turn? You see, when you make a wrong turn, you've got to turn around. I learned that when I was driving into my Buick. They might have called my Buick the boat because it rocked down the road like this, but there was no way I could circumvent the globe through the ocean to get back home the way I was going. I had to turn around all the way back over that bridge. Where have you taken a wrong turn? Name it. Trust that Christ is still victorious over sin. Trust that he still loves you. Trust that, yes, he died even for your sin. Trust that he will once again set you free. Confess it. Cry out for for forgiveness and repent. You'll never get back home unless you turn around. The power of God that saved you in Christ will cleanse you in Christ. The spirit that awakens your heart to your sin will empower you to renew your passion for sin or your passion for Christ. And so what I invite you to do is get out your chalk. Revival begins with us and we want nothing in the way. And we don't want our sin and our willful lack of repentance to stop God from pouring all that God wants to into our lives. Draw the circle. Draw the circle and kneel down and pray Repent of your sin that remains in your life. We all have it. And cry out to God for forgiveness. And he will, by the glorious truth of Jesus Christ, set you free. Sin may not reign, but it does remain. And even somebody who knows the way and has been doing it for years will need to turn around. Thanks be to God that we can turn around. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, which at once pierces us and then in the same way offers us life. I pray, O God, today, I don't want to pray it, but I will, that your Spirit would send upon us the conviction of our sin and that you would give us the grace to let go of it, to repent, and to receive your forgiveness. And as we do, O God, may we experience a fuller measure of you and your presence in our lives and transformation and holiness. And may our new freedom lead to sharing the freedom with others and then with others and then with others until your freedom breaks out all over the place. Father, if there is business you're doing in somebody's heart today, please continue to do it and make us mindful to minister. Give us courage to answer in Jesus' name.